Welcome to episode one of the A Word of Good podcast season two. My name is Gethin Nadin and today my guest is Max Morby. Max has expertise in online and lab experiments, qualitative research and testing in the field. The foundation of his profile in the field is leading the quantitative and quantitative research for the Financial Capability Lab. Whilst leading this project, Max conceived, created and built the Behavioural Insights team's financial behaviour practice. Max has also done more frivolous stuff like this Wired article on getting replies to your emails. Major projects for Max at BIT included work with Monzo on spending and the interface of RBS's Challenger to the Challenger Bank Bow. Max has also developed interventions and products using behavioural science that are currently live in the market, including the first automatic personalised savings recommendation engine at fintech provider Plum. Max is an experienced public speaker who can help in building the profile of organisations and developing their behavioural know-how. Earlier in Max's career, he was private secretary to the permanent undersecretary of state at the UK's Department for Business, Innovation and Skills. Max introduced behavioural science to Danish shipping company Maersk and collaborated with UK industry on reducing carbon emissions. I'm extremely delighted to be joined by Max for what is one of my favourite podcast episodes to date. I hope you find it as fascinating as I did. Please welcome Max Morby. Hi, Max. How are you? Hi, I'm good. Thanks. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. So appreciate you taking the time out to join us. Um, you and I met at a conference last year, I think, um, and you were doing some really interesting uh, interesting things around uh, behavioural economics, and um, you gave a really interesting talk with uh, one of your colleagues. So I was really keen to get you on the podcast just to kind of talk about um, kind of this nudging and well-being and how the two come together and the impact that can have on things like financial well-being. So uh, really excited to have this conversation with you. Me too. Um, so for anyone that doesn't know who haven't come across this before, can you tell us a little bit about behavioural science, what it is and where we might see it being used? Absolutely. So uh, behavioural science is a way of uh, thinking about how we make decisions that helps us understand how the majority of us actually make decisions as opposed to how we might like or, uh, or hope that we might make decisions. Um, and the example of this uh, that we always give is, um, you know, given, given freedom um, and as much information as, uh, as, you, might, uh, as you might want, you uh, might choose to save for uh, your pension when you're 20 or 25. You might save um, a quite a large amount because the earlier you start saving, the more money uh, that you will have in your retirement and um, you know, the stuff that you save when you're 20 just has uh, so much more time to grow. So a rational person definitely should put as much money into their pension when they're 21 or 22. But in fact, uh, what we found is that, uh, is that most people don't. Um, and actually, unless you do things like we're now doing in this country, where you automatically uh, enroll people into pensions, many people don't save at all. So there's a difference between what we should do, i.e. save into our pension as much as possible, as early as possible, and what we actually do, which is uh, many of us don't save at all, and those of us who do save probably don't save enough. 
Um, and the traditional explanation for this that uh, economists might give is, well, you know, you're not doing what you should do. So you're lazy or stupid um, or not paying attention in a way that is a kind of negative judgment on you as a decision maker. Um, and behavioral science um, allows us to understand actually, you know, why are people doing um, uh, this thing that maybe is not uh, in traditional terms, rational, and help us understand some things we can do uh, to address that. So, for example, uh, the auto-enrollment I just mentioned. And it's quite interesting in a well-being space, I think, because instinctively we all know as adults what we need to do to get healthy, right? So that has been pushed, plugged into us for a long time that you've got to move more, you've got to have exercise, you've got to eat less of the certain foods, um, yet as a nation we still don't do that so we don't act rationally as humans do we? Absolutely not and uh, the, the, the common example people always give uh, for health particularly um, but it can apply across all kinds of uh, decision environments where you know what you should do but you don't actually end up doing it is the intention behavior gap so uh, many of us may sign up to gyms around now in the year or maybe a few weeks ago uh, with the intention of going every week or three times a week. Um, and, you know, that can be a, um, a, a, a strongly held um, intention to exercise more this year. Um, and you'd think that if you have a strongly held intention, you'd follow through on it. And perhaps if you were looking at people, you're like, well, you, know, you told us you were going to do this. So why haven't you done it? Um, and traditional economics kind of took that view, um, and it's been very helpful in you know, the kind of stuff that I used to do with like macroeconomic planning and looking at whole economies. But when you actually get down to the level of the individual person, it actually becomes a little bit unhelpful to, to, to think about uh, things in that, in that rational way. Um, and yeah, so what we see is that there's a gap between what you actually do and what you intend to do. And behavioral science allows us to get into all the many reasons why um, uh, why that gap might be there. Uh, and I think a great example of that I saw of that was, so I think uh, Richard Thaler is an ex-colleague of yours, isn't he? So he founded the company that I used to work for, Behavioral Insights Team, or co-founded, I should say. Um, so I think there was that great video around the um, EU referendum that he produced that kind of said it was a great, the EU referendum was a great example of people on both sides ignoring the facts and voting emotionally. Um, and I thought that was, uh, yeah, at the time and probably still now, is probably quite a good example of, uh, yeah, let's ignore the experts and just vote with uh, kind of our feelings um, rather than what, what we think is the logical thing to do. Um, and that the kind of behavioural science became really... People like Barack Obama and David Cameron set up behavioural insights teams, obviously one of which you are part of, Um and so that became really cool at some point, didn't it? Like, I think remember Barack Obama getting really excited about the potential of uh, behavioral science within um, the White House and the US government. Yeah, so I think it really broke the surface for government in 2008 with Richard Thaler and Cass Sunstein's book Nudge, um, which brought together uh, research, which I mean had been going on in academic circles and starting to really break the surface in the 90s. Um, uh, it actually brought it into uh, a kind of toolbox that people could use. So people often say nudge theory or, or, or nudging uh, for the whole field, but actually nudging is really just the really cool piece of, piece of kit. It's the extra tool in your toolbox 
which Cass uh, Sunstein and Richard Thaler put together. And essentially what it is, is um, you, you understand the environment in which you're making a decision. So for example, it could be a screen on a, on a, on a computer like we're both probably looking at it at the moment. Um, and you understand what elements of that um, are, um, are going to influence behavior. So for example, um, the default option that's pre-selected when you're choosing a well-being plan or you're choosing uh, you know, something at work uh, will actually have a large impact on, uh, on the behavior, on the decisions uh, of the people in that environment. So if you can understand that uh, changing the default will change behavior, then what you have there uh, is the opportunity to nudge people uh, to change their behavior by changing the environment slightly uh, around them. And I think that was really exciting for government. Certainly for me, I was working in government at the time. Uh, I was working in government between 2009, 2014. Um, it was really exciting because it was a way to um, help influence uh, the behavior of your citizens in a positive way uh, without compelling them to do anything. And I think that's the really important thing that everybody forgets about nudge, that the test that Sunstein and Thaler uh, uh, suggest that you need to have to test whether your intervention is a nudge is that you should be able to opt out of whatever the, uh, the suggestion is. So you should be able to, at one click, change the default uh, that you've been offered on a screen. So it shouldn't be that you know, there's only one option and that's pre-selected because that's not a nudge, that's a compulsion. Um, you should be able to opt out with one click. And it, it just so turned out that this had massive, massive impacts uh, across a number of areas. So the, the really famous one uh, for the Behavioural Insights team where I used to work was uh, changing a single line in a tax letter brought forward uh, hundreds of thousands of pounds uh, in extra tax. So it's just, just a single sentence that change, very easy to, uh, to ignore. Um, you know, there's no compulsion there. So it is a nudge um, and at very low cost and had a very high impact. And so what, what other examples um, spring to mind when you know, our listeners will be thinking about nudges that they might experience in their lives? Because it's pretty common now, isn't it, that there's lots of different things that we will be nudged to do without us necessarily realising it's a nudge. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, uh, this 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 field is is wide and varied now, and there's lots of other people doing it. Um, the one, my favourite, uh, just because it's the most impactful, I think it's changed the most people's lives, uh, is auto enrolment. So that's another default where uh, when you uh, when you get a new job now, you automatically are enrolled into a pension, um, and I mean, you can always opt out. That's that's completely up to you. Um, but if you don't do anything, which most of us frankly don't, and remember, like, like that's not a criticism of you if you don't do anything with your pension. It's just you know, in behavioural science terms, just understanding that you have much more to pay attention to in your life um, than it's possible to. The, the world's essentially an infinite place, but your brain is only a finite thing. Um, so if we understand that. Um, then it's not necessarily a criticism of you to say, oh, you know, you haven't changed the default. It's just, it's just life, you know. Um, so that's uh, a really, really big one. It's, I think it's 10 million savers in the UK, 90 billion um, in uh, in extra saving uh, for retirement through 2018. I think that's huge. Um, 
where I've been working uh, in fintech for the last few years. Uh, I think there's loads of really, really cool things um, uh, that people are designing. So I really enjoy uh, the Monzo uh, spending wheel that they have, where they where you set yourself a budget, um, and then they use uh, uh, in quite an interesting way uh, the colours red, green, and um, yellow. I was going to say blue, but I, it's definitely yellow. <laughs> red, green, and yellow to um, to indicate uh, whether you are on or off track with your budget. Um, and that's quite a nice uh, nudge using colors, uh, which are simpler to understand and simpler to act on, rather than um, uh, you having to pay attention to the numbers or even do all of the calculation yourself, which you might have to do with a traditional bank account. Um, so just two kind of quite diverging examples there. Yeah, I think one I read about which had pretty enormous success really was um banks texting somebody to let them know that day they're going to go overdrawn and if they pay money in they'll avoid charges um obviously that, that charge instructor's changed uh, over the last few weeks because of uh, uh the fca's few decisions but at the time it was i think it was reducing people's overdrafts or unauthorized overdrafts by almost 50 percent by just nudging them on the first day that this is about to happen you need to do some action is that, is that so, a nudge? sorry Sorry, are you still there? Yeah, yeah, sorry, I was just going to oh, say. Yeah, is, is, is <laughs> yeah no, 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 I was uh, sorry, I was uh, cutting in because I'm a big fanboy um, of that work. I love that work. It's the FCA's behavioral science team um, who are very, very talented. Um, um, and I've always been big fans of their work. Um, and yeah, they, they've shown, um, so they've actually done um, experimentation, they've done empirical work that shows the impact um, of these text messages. Um, and in, in my understanding, the theory behind it is that actually um, we're far more likely to take, um, uh, to take action on information when it is timely. So in, in theory, if you're a totally rational decision maker, you should, uh, you should be able to use all information whenever it's been provided to you um, on the same basis. So it doesn't matter whether you're told that you're overdrawn on the day that you go overdrawn or five days afterwards, you should actually take the same um, action because, I mean, the value of the information hasn't changed that much. Although, I mean, you could argue about details. Um, but the really interesting thing is, is it seems that, um, that if you provide information at exactly the time that it allows us to take an action, so I, we can see you're going to go overdrawn today, and you know why don't you make a transfer today to stop you doing that and stop you getting uh, getting these fees that are such a big problem that, that the FCA has been focusing on. Um, and that seems to have a lot more impact. I mean, I'm, I'm theorizing, hypothesizing now, but it's, it's something about, uh, you know, making it easy to um, to do something in a way that you see immediate feedback and you get this nice kind of little um, uh, positive uh, uh, positive brain chemical hit from doing something at the time at which you know it has relevant impact. Whereas if it's something that feels like it's further away in time um, from the action that you're going to take, then perhaps you get uh, a little bit less satisfaction. Um, from completing it, even though rationally, you know, you should do it at whatever time. Um, and so something that really kind of comes up quite a lot with the work that I do speaking to employers, especially within kind of HR and reward teams is it, it in many cases, it feels like um, we've just communicate, we've substituted communications for nudging. So 
we have employers that will send their communications out typically by email probably um, in most cases and they're now referring those to nudges um, and I guess there seems to be some blurred lines between what actually a nudge is and just communicating a piece of information to somebody isn't necessarily a nudge is it? Absolutely. So what I'd say is you've got three traditional tools in your toolkit for changing behavior. So you've got like compulsion, i.e. you can ban something or you can, um, uh, or you can, uh, government terms, legalize something or make something permitted. Um, you've got information. You can tell people about something or omit to tell people about something, which is also, something, you know, that's also a use of information to change behavior. And then you've got um, uh, incentives um, or disincentives. So you can pay people or take money away from people depending on their behavior. And those are the traditional um, uh, ways. Communication you mentioned is, is information, one of them. Um, and the point about nudging is that I think it's just, it's another uh, it's another kind of tool uh, in that toolbox, which sits alongside those, um, because it is slightly different. So saying that, you know, you change the environment around people such that if they just just um, are in that environment in uh, what behavioral scientists refer to as system one, I, you're thinking quickly and you're not uh, engaging at a deep level with that environment, then it's likely to change your behavior. But if you were to go into system two, thinking slowly, you know, really, really paying attention to everything in the environment, then actually you're far less likely to be affected by that nudge. And importantly, you should have at one click the opportunity to, um, to opt out of that nudge. But that is different to the other three of information, um, compulsion, so banning or allowing something, and then incentives or disincentives, paying or taking money away from people. But the, th the thing I've always highlighted when I've done like behavioral science um, training for people is that all of those three traditional methods can be improved through behavioral science. So just like we were discussing, timely moments can improve the impact of your information. Um, so, uh, and actually, sorry, that, that just an example of that, uh, the tax letter. Um, is a really good example of that, BIT's tax letter. So, uh, you know, so there, were, there was information anyway, you haven't paid your tax, can you please, please pay your tax? Um, so it's, it's, it's information, it's not yet at the level of compulsion. Um, and they just added uh, an extra line in that letter, which was using a social norm kind of thing that uh, marketers use all the time. Eight out of 10 people, for example, have paid their tax on time. Um, so that's a behavioral science with a traditional behavior change technique. So I wouldn't get stuck on nudging. Because there's a, an example that was um, hotly debated between me and a group of people fairly recently was um, an employer had sent a communication out that was triggered by an employee uh, address change. So when an employee's address changed, they would have an automated email that reminded them to contact the post office um, or contact the utility people and make sure they've got kind of mail forwarding down and make sure you contact your utilities and get those sorted. Um, yeah. And, and it, was a, it was a debate whether that was a nudge or not because... Um, obviously some people were saying that was implied and others were saying that actually, well, it's telling you to go and do some things. And is that really a nudge? Mm, uh, I, I would need to go back to the exact definition that Sunseen and Thaler, uh, Thaler wrote. I mean, if, if you were asking my personal opinion, I, my personal opinion, I don't think it's a nudge because actually, 
um, it's unlikely that you're going to uh, just in system one um, breeze through and do all of these things because actually to do all of those things it requires you to engage with probably novel environments you haven't been in before which probably means you'll be like thinking quite hard paying attention to things actually what you're asking people to do is some quite active decision making there um, and that's not something that in my mind tallies with the, the uh, aim of nudges which is to get people to change their behavior without asking a huge amount of them yeah well I, I won that argument then if we're going by your definition so thank, <laughs> so thank you thank you for that um, and and for people who aren't familiar with kind of um, nudges there's also something that's been referred to as sludges could you tell us a little bit about those? Ah, uh, yes. Uh, the bet noir of, uh, of uh, certainly the kind of uh, behavioral scientists I was working with in behavior insights team. I mean, it's a great, it's academics. a great word. Um, so, the, so sludge is essentially use of behavioral science techniques um, in a way that is not um, uh, uh, consumer positive. So. Uh, the, the classic example uh, that's always given uh, is a major uh, holiday uh, booking website uh, on the internet uh, will do a number of things uh, that they've tested and iterated. And I know this because I know some people who've, uh, who've been involved in this work, um, um, who've tested and iterated ruthlessly to work out what elements of a screen when you're booking a holiday or booking a hotel uh, will increase the likelihood that you book um, that holiday or that hotel and will also increase the likelihood that you book a holiday or hotel that's very uh, profitable for the, uh, for the website that you're booking on. Um, and there are lots of different interventions that, that they've done, things like, um, you know, there are 23 people looking at this right now, um, uh, lots of different and potentially confusing, but also very salient and interesting discounts, um, which are also displayed on the screen in a number of other interventions. Um, and all of those uh, uh, taken together are fairly major sludge with a large S, but each um, uh, each uh, instance of it uh, is, uh, is, is a use of behavioral science to change behavior in exactly the same way that uh, nudging is, but the, uh, the aim is not to improve health, wealth, and happiness, which is the subtitle of the book, Nudge, uh, Improving Decisions About Health, Wealth, and Happiness, um, but it is actually in the interest of only of the person uh, or company who are designing the page or, uh, or choice environment. Um, so yes, evil, evil, dark nudging. Uh, <laughs> I've also heard it called dark patterns. Well, that's pretty good names as well. <laughs> dark patterns, sludges. Um, and so appreciate kind of well-being isn't necessarily <coughs> your kind of area of specialty, but you know, how have we seen behavioral science used to help people make better well-being decisions? I guess the obvious one is probably the smoking ban. Is that, was that a nudge? <laughs> oh, I don't think smoking ban is, is, uh, is a nudge because it's, uh, it's in legislation. It's pretty traditional. It's not something you can opt out of, uh, which is the, the vital thing. Um, although of course it does have the kind of pro-social, uh, 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 aim. Um, so I, I would say smoking bans are pretty traditional um, uh, behavior change by banning something, um, which is fine, right? Like, you know, it's, it's, we're not saying that, it, that you shouldn't use the traditional methods. It's just you can use behavioral science to improve those 
traditional methods um, and you can also use nudging as an additional tool um because uh, i guess that's yeah that's certain some of the confusion that i've seen is where people are just you know um taking behavioral insights and then just actually anything that's kind of behavioral now becomes a nudge and so i've seen especially in our industry smoke uh, the smoking ban uses an example of nudging in place when it's actually making a making something easier to do will obviously improve the chances somebody will do it making it harder will in, increase the chances that somebody's not going to do it um and but that's not nudging right uh i think it depends how you use it so um I should I should plug uh, East, which is the um, the toolkit that uh, my old company, Behavioral Insights Team, put together to help policymakers, particularly. But I mean, anybody who wants to design nudges or behaviorally informed interventions um, of whatever type um, in in their workplaces or, or their companies, uh, you can download it um, uh, from the Behavioral Insights Team website. If you just search East Behavioral Insights Team, um, the, the, it's a mnemonic. And the first, uh, the first uh, letter is E for, for easy. So um, absolutely, uh, you can have behavioral science interventions, nudges, or, or behaviorally informed information, or whatever it is, um, uh, which makes things easier or make things harder. But it's, not, uh, it's, it's necessary, but not sufficient, right? There are other conditions that we've been talking about, like uh, you know, the, the one-click opt-out test. You know, the, making sure that you're very, very certain that this is pro-social, um, you know, and, uh, and and trying to think about the interaction with the traditional behaviour change techniques as well. Um, so it's not necessarily the case that you make things easier. It's, it's definitely a nudge. Um, and are there any examples of um, into kind of traditional health and well-being where we are getting people to make um, better health decisions? I guess another obvious one that springs to mind has been organ donation. Um, that's again that's that opt-out process right so you're signing people up and they're having to opt out yeah absolutely so this is one all budding behavioral scientists study at university uh, i'm no different um so uh, it's like a broadly like a pareto principle that um if you have um it opt in i you have to say i want to donate my organs then um, then you get about 80% of people not donating their organs. If you have it opt out, i.e. you say, um, I don't, uh, sorry, yeah, you have to say, I don't want to uh, donate my organs, then you get about 80% of people donating their organs. So you just get a nice mirror image. Um, and yeah, absolutely, this is, um, uh, this is changing in, in, I think it's just England. I don't think it's the whole of UK, but I think it's either changing or it has changed here. Um, and there are lots of, com uh, of countries around the world which have, uh, which have great impacts in making sure that organs are available. So, you know, that's a huge impact. Um, it's also something that can be a bit controversial. And certainly when I've been thinking in my work in financial technology about when it, it's quite hard to decide often um, what is in someone's, like, financial well-being interest. So, for example, if you've got someone... Uh, who is uh, heavily indebted um, and uh, and you want them to start saving so the next time that they have to spend some money that they can use their savings rather than using more of their credit. There's an interesting and pretty much unsolvable, unless you ask the person, trade-off between taking extra credit <clears throat> and saving more. Um, and 
for us to 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 design an intervention we really do need uh to decide like what is um you know what is in their interest and um actually if you're thinking about the options of either defaulting them into something or defaulting them out of something often that can be quite difficult for you to say we definitely know what's in the interest of this person in this environment so we do have another option there which is essentially forced choice so instead of you know if you don't do anything this happens or if you don't do anything that happens it's sorry but you have to make this decision and nothing else happens until you make this decision and i think that's quite an interesting uh, option for people who are working in choice environments where well, actually, it really should be up to the person to decide, um, you know, what what they want to do. Um, so, you know, so you force the choice on them, um, and then they will have to make a choice before anything else happens. Excellent. Well, I could genuinely talk to you about this stuff uh, for a lot longer than half an hour. Um, but uh, I'm not sure how enjoyable that's going to be for other people to listen to. Uh, me just throwing <laughs> examples at you and asking you, is this nudging? Is this nudging? Um, but really appreciate you taking the time out to join us. Um, really fascinating stuff. Um, I love the stuff that the Behavioural Insights, uh, the, the nudge unit did um, as part of the uh, David Cameron's government and beyond. Um, love what, you, what you've what you done and love to see what's going to happen next and kind of what you do um in the future so uh we will keep everyone abreast of any developments um really appreciate you taking the time out to join us um thanks very much max morby thank you very much join the workplace well-being discussion online by tweeting your thoughts and questions to at world of good book thank you to my guest today and thank you for listening